0: So were uh, were you excited about the Premier League TV deal? So I, uh, it was only when we were just discussing the show ten minutes ago that you said we should talk about the new Premier League TV deal. I I did not know that had happened. What's happened? Uh, well,
1: the very very short story is they, is they just uh, sold the Premier League TV rights again for a spunk load of cash. So more well, another in- no actually no. that's it's interesting because there's a. Uh, a, there are a few different ways to look at it. I, I think the narrative, the main narrative that's been played out in some of the press, is oh bubbles burst, but it's not really true. And uh, I, I think everyone was kind of looking for that story. So basically, they they cut the, uh, the the packages into uh, seven seven blocks. Um, there's slightly more games on offer this time round, and uh, slightly weird sets of packages. Uh, some of them, anyway. Um, five of the seven blocks were sold uh, for a about uh 4.5 billion pounds. This is for um seasons um 18 19 19
0: 20 and
1: 2021, 20, right? Uh so we've got a little little time to go on the current deal first. Uh and uh, the the other two packages will get sold. They're just uh, I think they're negotiating with parties how how they'll be sold so they they can be sold as blocks um on uh, on uh, midweek blocks uh simulcast and on some bank holidays and stuff like that, or they can actually be split up, so it's like 40 games or so. Um, and potentially near live uh and um and uh bite-sized content packages and stuff like that anyway. I think they're I think they're hoping to entice Amazon into it. Um so I think the total the total deal in, in the in the end will be 100, 150 million short of the previous deal over three years. I think everyone thinks this is just domestic rights. Right, think everyone thinks that international rights will grow. So basically, it's a, it's a flat domestic market. Um, BT and Sky have said, hey, enough's enough. We're not paying more um, anymore. Um, and, uh, cause, you know, they've been using it as a kind of proxy war for selling broadband services. Um, but uh, the international market is far from mature, and I think in the end they'll probably get a total deal that's more than the current one, um, although not massively more. There you go.
0: Yeah. But I mean, I, you have to think that if it had grown at the kind of rate it's been growing between deals recently, again, then you'd be thinking this is an unsustainable bubble.
1: Right, seventy sure, percent
0: right? each TV deal the last two
1: times around. So yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, look, they'll they sell for what they sell. I mean, certainly the the Premier League has uh, enjoyed the fruits of competition uh, for sort of triple play and quad play customers. In the UK, what does that mean? That selling broadband, TV packages, um, um, uh, phone line, and and mobile, right? Uh, or sometimes dropping the mobile for triple play. So, um, and, and there's been hot competition between Sky and BT, and I, I think uh, not suggesting they've colluded <laughs> in any way, but I think they both <laughs> decided that uh, enough was enough on that one. Um, and and, and the, the the huge bonus from Silicon Valley hasn't come yet.
0: What is really remarkable about all this is how appallingly it serves the consumer. Um, oh, yeah. The, I think we've maybe have mentioned this on the podcast before, but there there was a time when there was a monopoly on Premier League coverage in the UK, live Premier League coverage in the UK, and it was all owned by Sky and... Uh, the Monopolies and Mergers Commission decided that this was bad um, because... Well, it's actually the the European Commission. Oh, there we go. The European Commission yeah, yeah. it was that, that split it up. So that um, they forced it to be sold in multiple packages to different yes. broadcasters, which meant... The premise being that there'd be more competition, but uh, actually,
1: yeah, consumers end up paying two or three subscriptions.
0: Yeah, which is really dreadful. And they also can't watch any games that are broadcast at three o'clock on a Saturday, which... Just means that the big clubs never play at three o'clock on a Saturday, essentially, or very rarely. But of course, um, United did a couple of weeks ago and they got a win over Huddersfield. But then it was a, a Sunday game, a very a very Sky Sports time of like quarter past two on a Sunday or something. Um, And United travelled to St James's Park and it was really, I mean, I suppose a lot of the television watching audience would have enjoyed it greatly, uh, but not those of a Manchester United persuasion because that was a hot mess. at
1: Newcastle. Yeah, 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 properly sticky hot mess. Really, really deeply unpleasant as an away performance. To follow up on the away performance at Spurs um it, this was this was really bad i, I united you
0: know, you know, hardly created a decent chance well um, and i think that's a that's a i know what you mean when you say that but we talk about xg quite a lot on this show um The XG heavily weighted in United's favour between the Martial one-on-one with the keeper, the two shots that Martial had to clear on the line and the one where Sanchez was through on goal and delayed his shot. Um, Those were all really big chances, weren't they? Yeah, Martial
1: one-on-one was definitely a very big chance and some uh, smart keeping from uh,
0: a guy who's just been plucked uh, on loan from where? Uh, Hungary or something like that? Uh, i think i would know if it was hungary but let me just double check that um eastern europe somewhere, yeah, martin, eastern slovakia, europe somewhere. slovakia slovakia martin dubravka
1: yeah. it's over there somewhere yeah. um I, you know i i i know the difference between slovakia and hungary before you write to me <laughs> <laughs> ferenc pushkas um, was
0: slovakian right that's that's right yeah. um
1: so yeah uh, yeah you're right Martial, good chance um couple of others uh, but just something desperately messy about the whole United performance, and and this is the game that seemed to after the Spurs game seemed to really bring the Pogba, Mourinho thing to a head. I mean, Pogba hauled off after what, an hour or so, and um, uh, questions beforehand about how fit he was, how how in, you know intense he was playing. Um, that's another poor performance from him. A lot of debate after the game about uh, whether Mourinho really should be playing him as a defensive midfielder, given that United spent £90 million on a world-class creative player. Um, uh, a uh, An argument that Mourinho seems to deeply distrust and reject. And no one else. But... <laughs> There you go. So yeah, Messi, uh, Lingard um, uh, at number ten really didn't see him at all. Lukaku up front struggled.
0: Actually, uh, thought back- Lukaku had a pretty good game, holding the ball up and feeding it to Sanchez a few times. There was, I think, Lukaku maybe put the ball through as well for Marcel, Maybe if I'm not remembering that wrong. Um, he didn't score though, did he? Um which uh, is an important facet. Did he of did he have game. did he have a shot? What, what, oh yeah, there was there was a couple where Did he have a shot? Yeah, he had that one where he scuffed a kind of half chance that went out what it went maybe went out for a throw-in, to be honest. He really like air shot one. But basically he had an incredibly thankless task and did almost everything that was asked for of him, I thought, in that game. I think of all the players to single out for criticism, he's he's basically immune from it. Um, mm. So I, I think the uh, the um, the thing that really came to a head after the Newcastle
1: game uh, was um, Mourinho's use of players in certain positions. You know, Sanchez is he's uh, he's he's going to be United's left-sided attacker, isn't he? Um, which means that Rashford and Martial aren't getting a look in there. They had been job sharing, so uh, Mourinho's um, swapped. Uh, using two great players in one position for... Now, three great great players in one position. Martial's over on the right. It really doesn't suit him, does he? Does he has he ever had a good game on the right? I may have a short memory here, but um, I don't remember. It's, uh, you know, for uh, for um, someone that I think probably much prefers playing up front, um, but at least when he comes in off the left, he can play like an inside left and and cut in and, and uh, attack. Uh, from the right, that just doesn't quite happen, so... Mourinho's got some thinking to do about the balance there, well, and, and in midfield. You say, Mourinho, well, you know, quite clearly, there's been briefing and counter briefing between the Mourinho one. You, you well, say, not that Mourinho's been briefing; he's been he's been telling everyone you, Pogba needs to be playing, uh, you know, doing more defensively, and, and Pogba's people have told Big Dunk that uh, he's he's not very
0: happy and uh, uh, doesn't think he should be playing in a defensive role. I mean, you say Mourinho's got some thinking to do about the balance. Does Mourinho seem at all interested in thinking about how to make United better? Like, is he is he not just going ah? I'm just going to keep buying really expensive players and hope they sort it out between them. The Pogba thing in I mean, he played really poorly. He came off in the warm up before he didn't finish the warm up for the game against Newcastle. Then really looked laboured and struggled. Came off after an hour, clearly carrying some sort of knock or injury. Mourinho was asked in the postmatch press conference, is he injured, and said no, which is just, oh my gosh, like, we could all see he wasn't able to move freely, he came off during the warm-up, and he took him off for Scott McTominay after an hour, or was it Carrick that came on, I don't know, either way, I'm... Um, it... Might be, Yeah, might yeah have,
1: I think Tom May came on about ten minutes yeah, later. It was, so, so it was Carrick.
0: Carrick yeah. he brought on for, which is fine. Like nothing wrong with having Carrick on the pitch. But um just the the shocking stupidity of going to war with Pogba. Uh, it's just Ugh! Why has yeah, he no, got to be know. like that? I mean
1: as you as you know, there's a there's a clique of uh, the Manchester United supporter base who like other managers before him, uh See, uh, see Mourinho as being able to do no wrong here. And uh, so the narrative there basically goes well, Pogba should do what his manager tells him. Uh, if he's being sniffy about it, we don't need him at the club, which is utter nonsense because, of course, uh, a manager's job is to get the best out of his players. Uh, and you don't ruin your very best player by asking him to play in a central two in midfield and defend.
0: While simultaneously... You know? and, ruined... and, and which
1: is, it like, you've just made the point by bringing McTominay on, you know, and, and Carrick on for him because that's
0: the kind of player he wanted in that game. Then he, he ruins his second best outfield player by buying a marginally better player and playing him in the same position and and, like reducing Martial's effectiveness by a huge percentage. Mourinho's screwing up at the moment. Like maybe he'll get it together. Maybe, maybe it's part of a grand plan or maybe he's in a bit of a lull and he'll, he'll get it together. But he's, um, he's dropping the ball. Like if you asked me, who would I rather won the war between Mourinho and Pogba for the sake of United's future in the next sort of two or three years, it's easily Pogba. It, I, oh, yeah. It's not even yeah, close. Yeah. No, I,
1: I mean, if it is, you know, less uh, hyperbolic, but if it was a case, well, more hyperbolic, sorry, but if it was a case of Mourinho versus Pogba, one stays and one goes, it's Pogba for me every single time. I I, I'm not even going to, my heart isn't going to beat twice before I make that decision. <laughs> it's easy. No, yeah. It's so easy. You know, you've got to, Uh, a world-class midfielder who is being restricted by a system that doesn't make any sense for the type of players United have got at the club. Um, And, uh, you know, if if Mourinho wants two defensive midfielders in there, he can have two defensive midfielders. He just needs to play Pogba as well as those two defensive midfielders.
0: And then we say, um, what is Mourinho getting out of this war? Apart from power you know what is he getting on the pitch out of insisting Pogba plays a more defensive role like say we could all agree that maybe Pogba needs to just give a little bit more when he's fed up like maybe maybe we could all agree that for the sake of professionalism the money's on etc etc maybe Pogba give a little bit more when he's fed up but regardless of any of that (coughs) Mourinho's (coughs) the thing that Mourinho wants is rubbish Like that's, that's the thing at the moment, the system Mm. that Mourinho seems to want, like if you think about the early games of the season where United were, you know, four nil FC in effect, um, Pogba was playing in a two for most of that. Matic was holding lots of games against smaller sides where this is not a problem. Um, Matic holds Pogba goes, this is, you know, that's the thing. Even then, though, Mark Hughes said when we drew 2 all with Stoke, Mark Hughes said that you know Pogba was drawn to the ball too much and that was something they, they consciously exploited in order to help get that draw. But anyway, th- the whole thing is Pogba was kind of unleashed for a lot of the early part of the season and that was the best football that United played. Whenever we looked in trouble, whenever we were struggling to break down teams, Pogba was so often the one who came up with the moment of magic. And, and a team with... Pogba, Martial, Lukaku, Sanchez, Rashford, um, Mata in it. Like, you've you've got to get a balance right between those players, which is no mean feat, but then you could say, well, uh, you know, anyway, you've got to get the balance right between all those players. Um, But trying to shackle Pogba into a midfield two, it's just
1: pointless. It's pointless. Well, he had one touch in the Newcastle box. And uh, you know, and and he's uh, you wouldn't expect him to have twenty. Of course, he's not the forward, um, but once, uh, and that's just not enough. He's United's principal creative player coming from midfield. You know, and um, I, I think on the balance of all the arguments, one being free Pogba up to give his absolute best for United because when Pogba plays well, United play well. Uh, versus uh, the player should just do what he's told because the manager said so. I think it's weighted heavily in the former on this one, you know? Yeah. Um and unless Mourinho wants to buy other players uh to play this 43-1 system that he really wants. Um uh, and, and do that, you know, he's just not gonna get out the best out of this this group. It, it's obvious. He can he can play Matic and Herrera or another, or McTominay if he prefers McTominay, um, and Pogba, free Pogba up and play Sanchez and Marcial. <laughs> or Rashford, and Lukaku, right? He's going to sacrifice Lingard, but um,
0: that's in order to, to to get the best out of Pogba. I think that's a fair trade. In, in talking of dishonest things, fundamentally dishonest things, that Mourinho said after that game, he said Newcastle were... Had come to get a point when they basically attacked from the word go, and in spite of uh, getting a lead, was it early in the second half? Was it where the goal went in? Yeah, sort of midway through the second half they scored. Still had uh, only three fewer shots than United, um, so I'm not sure it really stacks up that they were uh, they were there to get just to get a point. Um, No, they didn't have a lot of possession. No. But, you know, that's
1: how Newcastle have played in a few big games this season. Um, That's how United have played in a few games this season as well. So, you know, Mourinho definitely can't complain about about that one. You know, Newcastle um, broke when they needed to, you set pieces well, uh, got the goal and didn't concede. You know, perfect game plan uh, for them.
0: Not particularly nice thing to have to say, but I thought that Jonjo Shelby played very well for them in that game. He was fairly dominant in midfield, although he had a fairly easy ride, given the kind of shambolic nature of United's midfield at that point. Yeah, well, that was good. Um, so I, I
1: guess we went from that hot mess to... An away game at Huddersfield. The last time we went to Huddersfield <laughs> after a hot mess invisible. of
0: an away performance. This was
1: better. This was better. This was this was United just playing counter attack football. I mean, did, didn't create a lot of chances at all. Five, in fact, and scored twice. Uh, Nineteen shots from Huddersfield. So um, they they set themselves up to play on the counter. Um, conceded a lot of possession. Uh, deliberately so, uh, and ended up you know coming away with what felt like a comfortable win because it was it was a Mourinho esque performance. That's that's the Manchester United he wants. He he wants a counter punching side, and he got it against Huddersfield.
0: Well, the thing is, I the this this was such a weird game because it was it was very clear that the lineup was going to have two major problems: one, an absolutely chronic lack of width because the only wide players in the whole team were the fullbacks, backs um, Sanchez on the left, Mato on the right. But then a midfield three of McTominay, Carrick and Matic would also mean there would be an enormous gap between midfield and attack.
1: Um, mm-hmm. I, Mourinho's exp- explanation was just hilarious because, you know, he played 4-3-3, right? Which is the thing that everyone's been calling out for. And Pogba was ill during the week, so not a- able to play. Um, and he said, yeah, Pogba would have uh, played on the left side of a midfield three. (laughs) Um, But uh, the doctor told me he couldn't, so I forgot about him. Um, And uh, I asked Matic to play there, and he doesn't really want to. Actually, Matic had a very good game playing on the left side of that midfield three, I thought. Um, (laughs) As did Shaw, actually, at left back. I thought he was very busy, which, of course, means he gets dropped for the midweek game against Sevilla uh, because he's not
0: allowed to have a good game. Luke Shaw. I mean, I I, Um, I thought, actually... I didn't. I thought he he was busy and he did a lot, but I'm not sure I would describe that as a particularly great performance. I thought he did lose his man a few times, and I mean he was under a lot of pressure. And Alexis kept kind of calling to get people to press a bit higher up the pitch, and I think Shaw was caught in two minds a lot because Huddersfield were really kind of pushing, especially in the first half after the goal, they were pushing their right sided attacker right up on Shaw. But of course, the, the game was shaped by. Romelu Lukaku who was i mean just completely magnificent both of his goals genuinely superb striker's goals i thought yeah
1: the first one managed to to switch inside i thought i thought he'd taken it too wide i thought um he uh, he had uh, missed his chance really especially since the sort of close control isn't necessarily his biggest strength but he uh, he turned the defender beautifully and slotted home you know fine fine goal. Uh, and then the second one was uh, just a lightning quick break. I mean, I were slightly fortunate because <laughs> they had all 11 men back, you know, and typically it's a bit hard to break like that when you've got all 11 men back. But um, the ball got to Alexis and he just found an absolutely wonderful pass to
0: to set Lukaku off the nice thing about it is it's not just like the ball got to Alexis but Lukaku gave the ball to Alexis and right. then carried on his run so he did brilliantly to pick out Alexis Alexis's pass was perfect and and Lukaku held off two men and steered a brilliant finish home now one of the things that I thought was both of his finishes went to the same side of the keeper including uh that first one which was at an odd odd angle and given that the one thing that we know about Lukaku is that he's extremely studious I wonder whether he'd seen a weakness in that keepers diving to that side and uh deliberately I mean either one he could have gone the other way although the second one it was kind of natural to put it in that side but the first one it was quite an unnatural move to put it in that side it was interesting I thought yeah
1: um uh, it's uh, it's interesting that Mourinho experimented with that four three three. So United got a couple of last lost two times, so away at Huddersfield now where we'd lost before. Um and the way at Everton where United were really good mm-hmm. and Pogba possibly his best performance of the season. Um each time it's paid off, hasn't it? You know? The the, the risk with their four three three is um, you know, United have got the perfect forwards for it because they've got a kind of sort of outside inside. Forwards in in Rashford, Martial, Sanchez, and Mata, everyone's going to be comfortable there, um, and uh, and the focal point in Lukaku. Um, the risk is that that fullback's hardly United's strength. You know, theoretically, young Valencia Shaw sure can all play that sort of attacking fullback role, which is what you really need in that system. Although, you know, that's theoretically. I'm not sure they have all put in those kind of performances this season.
0: No, um. I mean, I think I think the result and the fact that Lukaku scored early could easily—I mean, what the United had put on their own Twitter account was deservedly through to the next round. And I think <coughs> on the balance of the total performance, that's probably fair. We were, I thought, pretty good in the second half, controlled the game really nicely. But in the first half, we were just shambolic. And if we yeah. didn't have yeah, that second one half league... was very
1: controlled. Yeah, first half was a mess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, got the goal early yeah um but but Huddersfield created a lot of chances
0: in that in that first half now one of the things that we've always sort of done on this show and it's not like we did it even on purpose i think it's just that you and i both agree that the way coverage of games is generally covered on television and even in print is very frustrating because referees decisions get an inordinate amount of attention, particularly on television punditry. So we, we try to, um, generally speaking, we'll touch on it, but it's never going to be the focus of our coverage of a game. But of course this game was historic in a United context, because it's the first time VAR, VAR has been used in a, in a Man United game. And, uh, Wow, <laughs> wow, yeah. wow. Uh, I don't even know if we've ever really had a serious conversation about the pros and cons of, of the concept in general, but this no, was I mean, shocking execution. Conceptually, I'm, I'm, I'm well
1: in favour. I mean, it works very well in, say, cricket and tennis, which I watch a lot of, um, but for different reasons. You know, in, in tennis you have a whole bunch of static cameras uh, and and because of the nature of tennis and because of the nature of the static camera you can get millimetre accuracy on a ball going 150 miles an hour, right? Um, And in cricket, there's only two variables, the man and the wickets Mm -hmm. and the ball. So three variables. So much, much easier. In football, I'm not convinced that it is that easy. They don't have the camera set up to do it. So basically, it's it's an actual human referee uh, reviewing about four angles on any incident. Um, and um, I don't think in this case he had a camera right in line, so the camera's forward of Matter. Um, every, everyone seems to think, oh, it's the right call because the the line, when, when they've actually got a straight line <laughs> on the TV, because uh, the first one was clearly drawn by a four-year-old, um, uh, shows Matter's knees about... Um, um uh you know what 2 inches off or something like that and it maybe it was maybe it was i'm not i'm not trying to make a kind of partisan point about we were robbed or something like that but um you know i think it's very very hard even with those replay cameras when you have to deal with perspective yeah and the parallax uh, to actually make that call so you have to make sure because i i've watched this the frame before matt is clearly on and, and Young's foot is on the ball the frame that is shown for the line matter is what a couple of inches off I mean the ball is just being delivered centimeters. and the frame afterwards when the ball is um um you know five meters off Young's foot um matter is clearly on side as well so it's not clear to me that that was definitely the right decision after reviewing it over and over again now the the, the assistant's got more angles. Maybe there's another angle that's clearer, but it's not been shown to anyone, uh, which is part of the problem as well in terms of trust. Um, and and then the big thing is this is supposed to be a clear error. So why is it being referred? You know, yeah. I, I don't think any of that situation helps football at
0: all in the way no, it's being implemented. It's it's a it's such a strange one, isn't it? Because um, so. First of all, it was just a catalogue of errors. I think this was broadcast, the pictures are broadcast, the same pictures are broadcast everywhere in the world, aren't they? The domestic broadcaster broadcast the same images everywhere. So everyone that's seen this game everywhere in the world would have seen a replay with the crazy wobbly lines on it. Um, Yes, yes, because I had a Russian feed on. Right, okay. So (laughs) there you go. Um, and, And that immediately makes the whole thing seem like a complete Uh, You know, like a a comedy of errors. Although, of course, that's just presentation. That's just ultimately it's just a distraction. That was an error in the feed that was relayed to the broadcasters, apparently, rather than an error that was uh, experienced in the referee's hut in Heathrow Airport. Um, which, I um, mean, it's not in Heathrow Airport, it's just in Heathrow. I just... Yeah, no, and, and that's
1: fine, you know, it, it's just, uh, it, it just people lose confidence when that kind of thing happens, and confidence is really important for this to, to work. And, I'm a, you know, I'm a techno-optimist, so I think in the end this will, they'll get this right and it'll benefit the game. I just think in areas that, you know, offside is yes, no, it is binary, um, but unless you can make a for certain binary decision, if it's still a human looking at it, trying to make a judgment in something like that, where they're having to adjust for perspective, which I can do on the computer, right? I can adjust it and he doesn't look offside. So um, th- then I'm not sure it's, we're getting anywhere, right? We're stopping the game for. Two minutes. uh, What did Wenger say? Ruining the emotion.
0: And and the thing about this decision, Okay, so this is a United goal. It's a Juan Mata goal. Obviously, I can't discuss this in any way and be considered truly impartial. But... If this goal had gone against United, I think I would still feel the same way as this. Surely these are not the decisions which need to be got right, in inverted commas, because as they said on on Match of the Day after the game, um, where both of the pundits, I have to say, were sort of just very much banging the drum of it was the right decision in the end. But um, Gabby Logan put it to them that there's no way... If they'd watched that after the game, they'd have been saying "good decision, linesman." Right? That's that's what you you saw in real time. Like I didn't when it was when all the weight was going on. I wasn't even that nervous because I was just like, "No, this is a goal. Obviously, it's a goal." We've all seen that replay. There's no way they're going to give that off from a VAR thing. Then then there's the question about the pros. So first of all, there's that. There's like, well, that might seem weird because, like you say, offside is binary, but surely, like a, an attacker attacker's knee being a millimetre offside while they're running is surely that is not the decision we're trying to get right. Like you said, it's supposed to be a clear decision. And and this was not a decision that apparently either the linesman or the referee referred to VAR. This was something that VAR flagged up from their end to say, we want to have a look at this. This, this might be a decision we want to have a look at, which is, it's just ridiculous. Re- it's ridiculous that that should happen R- on a Which is not the protocol like that.
1: that's been agreed. So, you know, this isn't written into the rules anywhere. So this is just what they've agreed. Um, but uh, clearly,
0: clearly that is a VAR referee wanting to get his hand in the pie there. <laughs> yeah. <you know?
1: laughs>
0: <laughs> i mean i i my understanding was that the protocol was that they would refer it or that the the var referee could attract the referee's attention to something that he might have missed that's that was my understanding because otherwise there are lots and lots of types of decisions where the var could make a big difference like a big off the ball foul or something the referee was paying no attention to you know so that was my understanding but Clear error this in, was the, so, in the briefing, Yes. Yeah. what it said. So there was so much wasted time, wasted emotion. Uh, this is really like, you know, when you watch NFL and every touchdown's reviewed, so the, the kind of, like, they celebrate touchdowns when they get them, and then there's a review every time, and it's like... Uh, I don't want to be a luddite. I don't want to be a technophobe. I do think surely we can we can use all the technology and coverage of these games to improve the quality of refereeing. But the current implementation is just horrible for football. And um, Greg Johnson, the managing editor of Football. London, said like VAR is a brilliant example of football self-importance. Like like it's, it treats itself like every decision has to be perfect. You know, whereas actually it's a, it's been an imperfect. Model mess for 150 years and why don't we just kind of let it carry on and I'm I I don't have that extreme a view of it but I do think the current implementation is just we saw I mean it's not even like teething errors at this point is it because it's been you in use for two-thirds of a season in major leagues around Europe you know
1: yes and and the same types of controversies uh, are you know and, and debates are being had Um, I I don't think it's... You know, look, when when it came into tennis, when the Hawkeye system came into tennis, and I think it's Hawkeye that's actually running this, it's just a very different style of implementation. Um, When it came into tennis, the players didn't like it. Now, no one will argue with it. No one. Everyone has total faith in the system. Um but as I said, it's it's six or seven static cameras.
0: Yeah, on um, yeah, exactly. on, on a on, a, on a, fixed you know, perspective. a very, very small area that it needs to cover. And and there's no, you know, all the perspective can be adjusted for it ahead of time and all that kind of stuff, because the angles don't change. Um but in football, the point the exact point at which the ball will have been played from and to will mean that the cameras will always be in different places and unless you're doing kind of bullet-time cameras around the whole width of stadiums, which, by the way, that could be super cool, but, you know.
1: Yeah, anyway, um, don't like the implementation as it is, but I have faith at some point now. Well, I have faith in technology. I'm not sure I have faith in the FA but, um, to get anything right. By the way, the FA this week signed a deal with uh, the Qatari FA. Apparently information sharing it was. This is... The same Qataris that the FA made a huge fuss about when they won the World Cup. Mm. I, I presume the FA, uh, the English FA, that is, um, will be in uh, big, big, uh, big fans of the 22, 2022 World Cup in the
0: middle of winter. Now <sighs> shows what money will do for you, hey? Yeah, um, money will get you through the fifth round of the FA Cup into the quarterfinals, home draw against Brighton and Hove Albion. Good news for. Uh... United's money men. Um, uh, bad news for season ticket holders, maybe, but good news uh, in terms of chances of progression to Wembley because that is, it's not like a foregone conclusion by any means. There's no game at the moment that feels like a foregone conclusion, but that's a pretty favourable draw at this stage, isn't it? Yes, at this stage, yeah.
1: Although, given the way the other draws were made, quite likely that United will get one of City. Chelsea or Spurs in that semi. (laughs) Yes, but, you know. What if Spurs get through their replay against Rochdale, of course? (laughs) They're making heavy weather of it. Newport replay,
0: Rochdale replay.
1: Uh, Yeah, I I, uh, I was uh, on the motorway uh, today listening to the Spurs game. I have to say the Rochdale fans, all 10,000 of them, made an excellent uh, atmosphere and uh, they got their 94th minute equaliser and uh, I'm sure they uh, enjoyed their moment.
0: Yeah, and uh, that's they get to go to Wembley around early, don't they? That's a couple of rounds early. Uh, big things for Rochdale. Um, the the I guess so. Brighton and then one of the big boys in the semi-finals, and at that point, go from being really fed up that Jose Mourinho is Man United manager to being like, <laughs> oh yes, Jose Mourinho is Man United manager. He's quite good at getting past big teams in semi-finals, isn't he? Uh, that's right. Yeah, I mean, you know, look, um
1: the the way United played at Huddersfield and and generally in cup competitions is is the Mourinho's preferred method style. If he has any kind of style, that's it, and uh, it's good for cup competitions. It's kind of suited. The FA Cup is definitely United's best opportunity at getting silverware this year. So uh, I hope
0: we take it fairly seriously. Um... Uh, one last word on that Huddersfield game a player that's come in for a phenomenal amount of criticism this season and rightly so but, uh, Mike, Big Mike Smalling had a good game, he's had a couple of decent games in amongst the absolute calamities um, Mike, Mike Smalling, the recorder the recorder? Uh, oh the f- <laughs> yeah, I can't claim credit for this, I don't know where it comes from, but uh, somebody described um, Chris Morning as the flight recorder because he's always found where the wreckage is Cruel, yeah.
1: cruel, but fair, yeah. but fair. Um, yeah, no, he had a decent game, and and Lindelof didn't look too bad either. You no. know?
0: Um he he was a total mess last time at Huddersfield, but he was, um. it was Mourinho like <laughs> making him get over the trauma of it. It's uh, it's uh, what's the word? Exposure therapy, and <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yeah, normally it's planes and spiders, but yeah. exactly. But Huddersfield, it is for Victor Lindelof. Um, and talking of central defenders. Uh, very very lovely to see in the 90 whatever minute it was uh, eric b back eric b is back um uh,
1: yeah and very nice to see um uh, what's the over under on him getting injured in the next <laughs>
0: two weeks or so you got there before i could say it's been a long time he shouldn't have left us without with phil jones to step to um th- th- yeah hopefully he's got he gets a run because he is United's best centre back by quite a long distance, isn't he? He is, yeah. I, I, I mean, look, I'm guessing that midfield is going to be the priority in the summer.
1: Um, obviously need a replacement for Fellaini, who seems to be off to Turkey.
0: Uh, <laughs> Listen, reports are to be believed, Fellaini uh, and is, maybe Fellaini has been off to Turkey for as long as I can remember. I will believe it when he's surrounded by thousands of people at an airport. That's the first <laughs> time I'm going to believe it. That's right. Well, you know,
1: let's assume he goes and uh, and Herrera is stalling on a contract. Uh, reports of interest from Milan. Carrick is retiring. Uh, and obviously, uh, Pogba's going to Real Madrid, so
0: that you know, might be three or four... <laughs> Uh midfield is in the summer. Oh no. It's funny because it's painful. Um a word to mention the fact that Angel Gomez and Ethan Hamilton were yeah. on the bench. Hamilton apparently having impressed for the youth team and got his uh, got his squad. Yep, yep. Squad he, he has
1: done. Uh, regular watchers of MUTV will will know that he's he's been pretty good this season. Um Angel Gomez we uh, will have seen more of in the in the first team. Um and uh, fully deserves to be in and around the squad, I think. You know, he's not He's not actually played huge amounts for the reserve team, not the reserves actually play that many games either. But, um, you know, he's he's a big talent and uh, United feels like making a little point there, you know, managed to, Mourinho after the game said, yes, it's uh, it's great for them even if they don't get to play. You know, a little prod at Pep there for playing six, yeah. six, uh, six reserves the other week. Oh, six, um, six on the bench. So... Yeah, good good for them. And, and uh, maybe we'll see them against Brighton as well.
0: Um, so you say that midfield will be the priority in the summer. Will United have any money to spend? How's the financials looking?
1: Yes. Well, um yeah is the answer. Uh, United should have plenty of money to spend because the uh, the club uh, is in pretty good financial nick at the moment. So this is a it's not an annual um uh, report and I won't go into loads of length because there's really a very niche number of people who look forward to this. Um but uh, so it's quarter it's uh, it's second quarter. Uh, And, uh, you know, so don't read too much into the sort of headline stuff, but 160 odd million, 4% growth year on year compared to last year's second quarter. There's a bit of lumpiness there in the in the commercial income and the matchday income because it's quarter-on-quarter, quarter, so you can kind of ignore all of that. Uh, guidance on revenue up to 575 to 585, so, you know, decent growth there. Um, a bit da, so that's cash before you take the tax off and any special deductions, and I'll talk about that in a bit, uh, to about 185, so very strong balance sheet for United. So, um, in other words, to... Very, very long winded way. I say yes.
0: Lots of money in the bank. The, the um, um, should be able to spend uh, big in the summer. Any Cast listener that's been listening to f- for five years or more will now be taking a drink if they're playing the drinking game because you said a bit dull. That was a word that we used to hear a lot on this podcast, but we don't anymore. That's right. Um, net debt at um, that's
1: that's uh, total debt minus cash in the bank at uh, touch over three hundred twenty five million. Um, gross, a um, five hundred odd, um, so plenty of debt. But it's the way the Glazers, it's not an existential threat anymore, given the size of United is a bit da. <laughs> um, so you know, strong, strong cash business United, so that they can carry the debt off, um, and the Glazers use it to defer tax, which is what I wanted to talk about next, because it's kind of interesting for nerds out there. Of of the financial uh, variety, so United took a, and I saw some really bad coverage of this. So, um, as usual, when it comes to football finances, sports journalists not not on their A game. Um, So anyway, United deferred tax asset um, adjustment, special adjustment of uh, nearly fifty million pounds. Um, So um, this time last year, United had about one hundred forty million. Um, uh, on the balance sheet as an asset. Um, and this is the way it works, right? So when you lose money, as you, know, as you have done a lot in, in recent years because of uh, the uh, massive, massive debt, you can write that off against future tax. Called a def- and that's worth something. It's an asset on the balance sheet. It's called a deferred tax asset. And you've got a very weird quirk happening because of the new Trump tax plan. Um, And so United, of course, listed on the New York Stock Exchange, registered in Grand Cayman, not a tax dodge at all. Um, And um, because the Trump tax cut significantly reduced corporate tax rates uh, in the US, United's deferred tax asset is actually worth less. So there's a £50 million uh, adjustment on the balance sheet. It doesn't mean anything in terms of cash. Uh, but it's kind of one of those weird quirks. So, in fact, although United will get more cash on the balance sheet later, right now they took a £50 million hit. Uh, so that, that asset on the balance sheet is worth quite a lot less, uh, which was kind of amusing quirk for people who like that kind of lady stuff.
0: Hilarious. That's <laughs> amusing Yes. No, because jolly good. Uh um... Producer Tom had a wine and cheese party uh, last week and they could have had discussion about this kind of hilarious, grown-up, tax-based anecdotes. Yeah. Um,
1: And uh, anyway, so, yeah, very strong position. Um, Obviously pretty stable uh, income out to 2021. Uh, The big variable there being how many games United play, so how successful United are uh, and whether United are in the Champions League right um but yeah good position um anyway um we've, we've got plenty of twitter questions because this week i actually bothered to ask people nice that's two weeks in a row ed you're getting in the swing I, of it i, I, I know just... i haven't actually said it at the bot yet i said i thought i uh, i should but it's good job i didn't actually because it'd been
0: quite weird if it said we're about to record our podcast and then give we have some questions <laughs> and yeah we, just, we didn't um um yeah i just need to to make it clear at this point, like I'm never taking these over again. I've done them for however many years we've been doing the show. The next nine or eight or nine years of yours, Ed, with Twitter questions sucks. Really? Yeah. I, can I just give you my password and you can log in? No, and... I'm not having anything to do with it. I'm I'm free. I'm I've I'm never going back. It's it's nice. At underscore Taylor Ben says, uh, "Who can draw a
1: better straight line? VAR <laughs> officials or Gareth Barry Barry Walsh." driving a taxi steaming
0: drone. Oh, we haven't talked about this. Johnny Evans stole a taxi and I don't know how I feel about this. I don't know whether he's, he's got won- form
1: though. He's a bad boy. He drinks and he turns into a menace.
0: I don't know whether he's one of the top 5 central defenders in the world, but he was probably one of the top 5 central defenders in that taxi and at that moment. You've got Barrett, Barrett, Gary, Gareth Barry, um and Johnny Evans in there who
1: between them have played about, you know, 1500 games. <laughs> You'd think they might know better. <laughs> like They asked the taxi driver to stop and uh, help them get McDonald's or something like that at three in the morning and whilst he was helping them in McDonald's, the Japeses went and stole his taxi. I mean, Lolz.
0: Alan Pardew is acting like he's annoyed and disappointed about this, but he must be loving it behind the scenes. He's like, this is what well, it's... Well, he was out until this... half
1: five in the morning, apparently.
0: <laughs> this is what the like game's that. all about, lads. Wow! Wow. Um,
1: Anyway, questions, questions, questions. Has the arrival of
0: Sanchez Sanchez upset the balance? Says at Drakish Mish. Yes, I mean, hopefully the question, the answer is yes so far, but it'll be okay in the long run. So I do think. You know there is a danger of drawing too many parallel, uh, too many long term conclusions from five games because it could just be that he's playing Sanchez in the position he feels most comfortable while Sanchez is settling into the squad. I don't think that's what's happening, but it could be. But so far, it's pretty clear that Sanchez has upset the balance. But of course, the upside of that is a goal and an assist and you know and a constant kind of threat. He's he's a quality quality player, but I mean it's so. He's the kind of player we need in terms of his level of quality, but it's abundantly clear not in the position or style that we really needed. Mm. Can you give us your quarterly breakdown on EW's conference call to NYC, says at Simon
1: Stevens, or at <laughs> Steven Simon. Um, uh, I just thought I'd uh, mention, because he asked during the week as well, so uh, one of the very few uh friends of the podcast who is desperate to get the financial <laughs> update. Everyone else goes and makes a cup of tea. Uh I did that. There were a couple of other little tidbits around uh, other than the uh other than the finances. Um um Sanchez is the biggest selling shirt of the year. Something like
0: that. That's um, kind of interesting. The, uh, lots this... to talk about brand reach and all that kind of nonsense that everyone absolutely hates. I mean if if he's talking about twenty eighteen, that's not a surprise. But if he's talking about the seventeen eighteen season, I guess I'm maybe a little surprised that um, I guess Lukaku is probably the highest profile arrival in the summer and you can easily understand why Sanchez's shirt would outsell Lukaku's but
1: yeah uh, uh, Simon also says um, is Scott McTominay a bit or massively underrated the next Darren Gibson or the next Darren Fletcher. Yeah,
0: it's Ouch. really it's really unclear to me the answer to that question. I, I I've been super impressed by I, I sound like a broken record at this point, but I've been super impressed by McTominy's ability to look like he belongs in first team football, but right. That boy has never seen a backwards pass he didn't like like yeah, it's every no, no,
1: time. Right. Very 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 conservative with the ball. He's got to do more to be a United player and I, I think, you know, I, He's he's getting the the sort of uh, the benefit of the doubt, isn't he? Because it's his first season um, uh, in in and around first team squad. Mourinho said that he was he nearly left, and uh, who knows where he would have been playing. I think he was kind of intimating that he might have been playing in the championship or something like that. He still might end up playing in the championship. Um, uh, I think everyone's impressed with his composure. But that's not going to be enough once he's got 20 games under his belt,
0: is it? No, and and it doesn't look like a huge... It doesn't look like some kind of major technical issue to fix or anything. It just looks like he's he's risk-averse, which, you know, a young player coming into a Mourinho side... The fact that he's risk-averse isn't necessarily something that's indicative of his fundamental character or anything. Uh, You can easily imagine why he would be a little risk-averse under those circumstances, but it is just very noticeable.
1: Yeah. um, At P Padman says, Question for Paul. Can Ataman Humber play in a two-man midfield? Well, I think we had that question last week about the central defence. Yeah, right. Um, And and clearly it wouldn't be a two man
0: midfield, would it? No, but a, a two dog midfield. I mean, listen, could it be worse than Pogba and Matic have been recently? I mean, the answer is yes. Atom and Humber, lovely dogs that they are, would be much worse as a two man midfield than Pogba and Matic, who, for all their flaws, are elite level professional midfielders and not dogs. Why don't we have a working system after 18 months, oh. says uh, at bad boy Javi. That's it. That's the whole question, isn't it? That's it. That That's it. That's the big knock against Mourinho. You could list a bunch of stuff that's good about Mourinho's reign at United. Squad's in much better shape than it's been at any time since Fergie left. I think you could argue this is the best squad United have had since Ronaldo left. Ronaldo, the summer Ronaldo and Tevez left. Um... In fact, I don't really think you could make a particularly good argument the other way. It's pretty obvious, I think, that it's that level of talent. But it's a total I mean, it's just a sh- like it's I don't understand how Mourinho isn't waking up every day going, Oh my goodness, what am I doing with this opportunity?
1: Yeah. Um talking to Mourinho. Uh, Ziad uh, at 7 underscore E-E-A-D asks, uh, is Mourinho the manager next year if United fail to win anything this year? (sighs) Probably, unless United finish sixth.
0: Yeah, I mean, well, gosh, if we finish below Arsenal, then yeah. Um, It's like, I hate the idea that we would change our manager again this summer. Like, the... It, it's what's worse, isn't it? It's, it's Mourinho's failings or the continued instability. Another manager comes in wants his players, duh, 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 duh. I mean, we are in a really dangerous cycle at that point. And unless we luck out and appoint a kind of visionary genius, uh, who the fans and the board and the players will all give enough time and space to work their thing. I don't know. I, I, I would. I'm very frustrated with Mourinho, but unlike, you know, either Moyes or Van Gaal, I certainly wouldn't be celebrating if Mourinho got sacked.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's not, you know, unless unless they had uh, the word on the street that they were getting Poch or someone else. Although, you know, it's not as if Spurs are pulling up. You know, Spurs are fifth um and inconsistent in their performances as as uh, you can attest across Rochdale and Juve in the past week so um you know it's it's not obvious that he's going to do better job it might be less maddening it might be less maddening and there is there is something in that. <laughs> anyway. Um
0: I mean, uh, at this Frank point... Groton. You know, oh, go ahead. Sorry, uh, at this point, we could finish sixth and win nothing, or we could finish second and win the Champions League. You know, it's there's a long yeah, way right. to go in this season, and neither right. of those are impossible outcomes by any means.
1: No, the Champions League, we're going to have to park some massive buses. But, yeah. Yeah, could happen. Uh, Frank Groton's, uh, Frank underscore Groton's on Twitter says, uh, since it's NBA All Star weekend, mm-hmm. uh, what would a good slam dunk contest be? Uh, what would the equivalent be in football?
0: Yeah, I mean, you could do sort of like freestyle competitions, like get Premier League footballers to kind of do the freestyle stuff that's so popular on YouTube and all that. I think that'd be the direct correlation to slam dunk contests. Um, when we dis- it's all that stuff they have on the training
1: grounds where they score score a Rabona and, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. For, uh, uh, Paul Scholes uh, hitting Rio on the arse when he's taking a piss 60 <laughs> yards away, that kind
0: of thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and I think, like, crossbar challenge, things like that, that's that's all the kind of equivalents. There's, there is no equivalent to a slam dunk in football. Um, I think it'd be like blasted shots from 30 yards would be the kind of aesthetic equivalent, even though, even though in basketball, there are, there are long shots. Long shots are kind of equivalent to like Cantona's goal against Sunderland. They're, they're equivalent to a chip or a lob. Whereas a slam dunk has that sort of visceral uh, velocity that you associate with like a Yaboa off the bottom of the bar into the back of the net.
1: Yeah. Stupid game. Anyway, it's only good for the last two minutes. Um, uh, As I often remind people, including uh,
0: some extremely senior people at the NBA who I met in London recently. I mean, you say you uh, remind them, but like... That would imply that they knew that thing which isn't true beforehand. Well, then I've educated them <laughs> yeah. in the
1: futility of their sport. Uh, they did say I could uh, go courtside at the Knicks next time in New York. So, you know, I'll <laughs> obviously have to take them up on that. I'm,
0: I will be so cross the day that happens. Like, how is how out of the two of us do you get to do that first? Uh, yeah, it's not what you like, it's who you know, apparently. <laughs> um, uh,
1: we don't know too much about Sevilla because United have never played them before. I don't, you know. Obviously, we know lots about Sevilla because we've researched hard,
0: and United will be playing Sevilla on Wednesday. So, um, Mohammed Butt, formerly of Squawker, currently features editor at Here in the City, um, a long-time La Liga. I think he was he he headed up Squawker's La Liga coverage before they all fell apart. Uh, sent me some. Interesting information about Sevilla. So um, follow him on Twitter at Mohamed Butt. And this is what he has to say. He says, Sevilla are in superb form under their new boss Montea after basically stinking up the joint yet inexplicably picking up points in the first half of the season. That's right. They're amazing at home. He says the Ramon Sanchez... Piers Juan probably has one of the best atmospheres in Spain. I think if United go looking for a classic Mourinho 0-0, I can see Sevilla stepping up the tempo in the second half and getting a goal to win. But ultimately, they're weak on counters, and if United play to their talent level, then this should be a win. It's just whether Mourinho can get out of his own way, but United should have too much quality well, can't. for Sevilla. He can't. I mean, um,
1: it's going to be Pogba versus uh, Steven and Zonzi in central midfield if, if Pogba's illness is um, not so bad. Yeah. I The interesting, yeah. I mean, the Sevilla that I saw, and um, given my work and family schedule this year, the past year or so, um, has been pretty heavy. I haven't watched quite as much La Liga as I used to, but the Sevilla I saw in the early part of the season were pretty crap.
0: Yeah. Um, but they have been moving up the table. Now, uh, fifth, just three points behind Real Madrid, <laughs> who well, are... Like, I just Stinking l- up the show. Can we talk it. about how
1: bad Madrid are this season instead?
0: Well, we could, although they have just beaten PSG 3-1 in what was an extraordinarily enjoyable, if fundamentally morally bankrupt, game of football. <laughs> yes, yeah.
1: Yeah, I wasn't quite sure who does sport in that one. You know, Franco's fascist lot or the Qatari soft PR stunt. I mean, um, I, you know, I must... the human
0: rights abusers versus the ex-human rights abusers. <laughs> Sir L really terrible-o. Um, <laughs> but it was a heck of a game of football. Like We cannot ignore the fact that those, those are two teams full of really good footballers. And Ronnie scored an absolutely blind... I mean, he was playing terribly, obviously. He scored a brilliant penalty. And then one off his knee, which looked really spawny when you saw it in real time. And then when you see the replay, you realise, no, this is just that Ronaldo is now... You know, as he has been for so many years now, just one of the best poachers in the game because he he absolutely tried to steer the ball towards goal with his knee at, out of pure instinct, and it worked. You know.
1: Yeah. Um, so anyway, back to Sevilla, um, who who you know they've won three on the trot now a Copa del Rey game, couple in La Liga, and um, uh, you know they 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 they're going to play this sort of four two three one system. Um, United will match up very well against them and you know I'm going to expect the pattern of the game to be that United sit off and try and soak up pressure and try and do
0: something akin to uh, what the team just did at Huddersfield and play on the break I mean they've clearly got a problem with scoring goals haven't they they've scored 31 goals which I think only like only four teams have scored fewer goals than them in the league this season but they just don't concede that many either um, and apparently like you said and like Mo said they've been um, they've been doing much better recently, and you know this whole thing about like trying to predict this game, the the extent to which this just seems to be about which United turn up. It can't be overstated, can it? Because is it going to be four 0 FC, the swashbuckling goal scoring oh. like, threat that you know? And I don't mean like as in we're going to go there and try and batter them, but I just mean all those really quality attacking players we've got, will we see anything like their potential in either of these legs? Or will the combination of the system and the atmosphere stifle them? Yes. (laughs) So you think we're going to go out do you in
1: this? Look, all all the free-flowing, attacking, dramatic football that we got in Real versus PSG, we're going to see none of it in the United game because... Um, you know, there's there's a there's a phrase in American business: "Show me a throat to choke." Right? This is exactly what Mourinho wants to do <laughs> to Sevilla. He's going to try and kill this
0: game off. That's such a bad phrase. <laughs> that phrase makes me really sad that people would think about the world like that. Uh, yeah.
1: Um, no, I, I have zero expectations for this game. Um, it's away from home. I think Mourinho is going to try and kill it. It's going to be dirty. He he may he, he might even revert to his. I call it three at the back, but really it's seven at the back, isn't it? Um, with you know three, uh, two deep full backs and and two in front. Um, he hasn't done that in a while. But I, I don't expect United to be too ambitious. Um, I expect them to try and play on the counter. Uh, it, they have got players, you know, look at the goals they scored against Huddersfield, have got players to play like that. Um, and Alexis is a real bonus in that.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a strange situation, isn't it? Because actually, since Anfield, we haven't parked the bus anywhere. We've just been incompetent, more or less. Like, there hasn't been a lineup that was super, super defensive. Maybe away at Stanford Bridge, but even that one, not really. There was just a lot of real incompetence in those big games. Like against Spurs the other week. There's no way you can look at that lineup and say United were there to park the bus. It was a very attacking <clears throat> lineup that got smashed open early and then just just was dreadful. Yep. Um so yeah. it's been a while since we've seen that kind of heard that kind of sound of the bus backing up that beep beep beep. You know, we haven't heard that. No, for but a long I'm sure,
1: time. you know, even if that doesn't happen, United are gonna start extremely cautiously in this game. Yeah. I'm I'm sure it's just Mourinho's mentality. I mean I guess there's some really big questions. Is pogwa fit enough? Uh where will he play? Um and uh and who does he play in central defence, you know? Um I'm guessing Baye isn't fit or sharp enough to start, which means it's the Calamity Brothers at the back.
0: Yeah, I can't even defend Phil Jones anymore. That's, that's a shame because he was in maximum calamity mode against Spurs, wasn't he? Um yeah I don't know. Kind of want to see any partnership other than Jones and Smalling, really, don't you? Just because, I mean, if we look at a Smalling Jones Valencia Young backline, then that's going to be proper head in hand stuff, isn't it? Can't really see them managing a European tie, particularly if the general tone of the team is conservative. That that is a recipe for disaster. It is anyway. That's uh, that's Sevilla, and then then
1: Chelsea at the weekend uh, at Old Trafford. Um a pretty odd Chelsea side over the last month or so, isn't it? Yeah, I mean seven... Smashed Hull, smashed West Brom, <laughs> yeah. got absolutely battered by Watford, um and you know, obviously got the man sent off, but really deserved the loss. Uh, got spanked at home against Bournemouth,
0: uh, and lost to Arsenal. So in their last two games a 7-0 on aggregate to Chelsea. The two games before that is a 7-1 loss on aggregate for Chelsea. So, I mean, as just said a second ago, like what United turns up, what Chelsea turns up, who can even begin to imagine? I mean, after the the 3-0 loss to Bournemouth and the 4-1 to Watford, I had assumed that we would be seeing a, I don't know, Roberto Di Matteo, led Chelsea or something. Temporary manager, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's
1: right. I mean, Conte's a dead man walking, for sure. Um, But maybe he'll he'll hang on till the summer. They do play midweek. They play at home to Barcelona on Tuesday. I'm quite sure that Mourinho will make something about the extra 24 hours of rest. Um, But it is a game against Barcelona. That's going to be pretty intense.
0: Now, maybe Mourinho will actually care enough about the game against Chelsea to design a tailor-made um, approach to this game because it's not just the club that care whether we win or lose against Chelsea, but Mourinho himself will be personally invested in a way he apparently isn't in the rest of our performances in general. Um, so maybe he'll get up in the morning and make himself a dossier for this one and we'll, we'll see a kind of custom-built formation like we did at home last season against Chelsea. I mean, this Chelsea side is obviously M- dominantly stoppable at the moment um they, they've been all over the shop in terms of form uh weird decision I mean like D- D- Conte's relationship with Michi Bashoi is is the kind of thing that would be driving us mad no doubt if we were uh if we were unfortunate enough to be Chelsea fans um but they brought in Giroud uh, I guess Murata will play and has he been scoring the goals in these last couple of games? I've not really been paying uh, too much attention. But... No, not, not really. Right. I mean, Giroud's got
1: a couple. Okay. Um, murata has got 10 in the league this season. Um, Wait, is that uh, I mean, you know, he the He obviously had hockey? an injury as well, so he's missed some time. Right. So So, uh, yeah, actually, you know, it's, a, it's a quirk of, of uh, the way it's worked out, but, um, um, Uh, Lukaku has more goals uh, than Morata and Lacazette put
0: together. He's played more games. (laughs) Yes. uh, Yes, I'm so happy with that fact, even though it doesn't mean anything really. But still, uh, the the relative coverage over Morata and Lukaku was very frustrating um, in the summer. So I'm happy to see that Lukaku's got the edge in that one. Yeah, I mean, all the same ingredients are there for Chelsea.
1: Uh, for them to be a strong side clearly they haven't been as strong this season as last season you know they've made quite a few changes at the back christensen and rudiger have played quite a bit recently to young players who you know i guess weren't conte's first choice probably weren't his choice at all um uh, but you know they're, they're still strong in midfield and pedro and hazard they've got plenty of goals there even if you know Morata doesn't get them and uh, you know Giroux i think even with his age and even being what 18 million pounds or so was a pretty fine acquisition given that they almost bought Peter Crouch instead.
0: <laughs> yeah. But I mean, who would you rather have Michi or, uh, or Giroud? No, you'd have, you'd have Giroud any day at the moment. I mean, Then Bacuay. Michi hasn't played for two years, has he? Well, no, but he scores goals every time he's played. He's gone to Dortmund and I think, I don't know exact stat, but it was something like Dortmund have scored seven goals since Michi was there. He's done the pass before the assist for two of them, one assist and scored five, I think, so that's eight goals anyway. So he's like absolutely flying. I'd, I'd, have, I'd have Bacuay myself. There are some stats people out there who count pre-assists. I'm, I'm not there. No, but you, he's clearly involved in the build-up, isn't he? At that point, anyway. Um, Batshuayi versus Giroud is not our problem, fortunately. Uh, Giroud might be our problem, but I feel like you know you can just stick Mike Smalling on Giroud, can't you? And that'd be mostly yeah. Okay. It's,
1: it's not the, it's not the kind of nimble technical forward that that, that Smalling and the other treacle brother struggle with. You know? Ah, <laughs> oh, like, so upset him and he's
0: all right. It's so upsetting, Ed. I'm so upset. Ah, uh, my agenda's ruined. They're both terrible. No, I still, I still think there's a player in both of them sometimes, but it's just there's also the opposite. So often, isn't there? Not even so often, just too often. You know, right, right, <sighs> too often for the level United want to be at. So we're predicting two wins there, eh?
1: and that's right. No, I'm not. Um, let's uh, let's be positive. Uh, about Sevilla and say it goes exactly how Mourinho wants it to go so nil-nil um, and uh, yeah, yeah why not you can pull off a bespoke tactical system um, for the uh, for the game against Chelsea you may even go with a 4-3-3 there because you'd outnumber Chelsea in central midfield uh, and push two guys wide against their you know three, three-man three backline so possible possible and so let's say
0: 1-0 one against Chelsea oh <sighs> I don't know. I don't... I have to, have to right? This is the, the contract of the Rantcast. We have to predict results. Because, honestly, I feel like I've got absolutely no idea what's going to happen. The Sevilla game, I feel like I've got no idea because I don't know how they match up to United, really. So I'm just kind of plucking numbers out of the air based on what everyone said. I'm going to go with a 1-0 win to us. There you go. Counter-attacking goal from Anthony Martial. The kind that I see in my dreams. Um... And then Chelsea versus United, which lumbering mess of a manager does a better job in this one? Which one of them wakes themselves up from their weird self-imposed slumber and uh, actually brings their undoubtedly high levels of talent to bear on the outcome of this game? Nil-nil. Who's going to win the verbals before the game? Nil-nil draw. Mourinho is... Mourinho wins the verbals every time. He's in a different... Le Conte can't touch him for verbals. Like, (laughs) Mourinho's a stone-cold verbal assassin because he's prepared to (laughs) completely ignore the truth, except when it is an incredibly painful truth, in which case he's fully prepared to exploit it.
1: (laughs) No, that's right. That's right. And, uh, yeah, I mean, he was masterful in the last bat. Yeah. Uh, Just, yeah, yeah, positive, positive, bang. Mm. Ruin the guy. Um, And and I think it could could well have done. I'm sure Conte spends every
0: morning checking that his hairline's okay. Uh, League Cup. And so in this order, Community Shield, Verbals with Conte, League Cup, Europa League. That's that's Mourinho's best achievements at United so far. Very good. Well, our achievement
1: is to record over an hour of this podcast nonsense this week. Yep. Um, uh, Including... For your enjoyment, Twitter questions. You see that, Paul? Yeah, well done. Asked. It's good work. Yeah, it's
0: good It's good work. It's good work. The boring bit about financial stuff. That and was great. Football. Yeah, I really enjoyed all that. And the, I mean, I have to say, it's a toss-up between which is more boring at the moment, talking about the football or talking about the money. It's close. Um, so if you've got this far into the show, well done. And thank you for listening, as always. Um, I hope you've enjoyed our slightly more miserablest than usual nonsense. Um, and we'll be back with another one of these after a glorious week where Mourinho proves that his haters with an 8 and a Z are all wrong and he still fully got it. And anyone that says he didn't is a great big treacherous idiot. It's going to be funny when United lose twice, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, wow. yeah, it is. Yeah. All right, see you next week. Either way, next we'll week. be here to dissect it all. The Rankcast is brought to you ad free um, because. We are lucky enough to be supported by people who back us over at patreon.com slash rankcast. And um, if you pay more than five US dollars plus VAT per month, you'll get access to a little bonus at the end of every week. This week, me and Ed talked about the Winter Olympics. Behind ...normal humanity is, so, you know, stick some dude
1: who'd run 20 seconds in the 100 and, <laughs> yeah. you know, you go, oh, wow, you know, that person who was last is absolutely amazing. But in the winter sports... They'd die at all of them. Even the <laughs> curling. They <laughs> just break their foot and run over their foot on a spot. Okay, I did talk just... about with the curling? Two moments of well three moments of uh, massive controversy. One, cheating, where both sides I, I can't remember was it Sweden?